Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bar Fights. This is Sarah Klein, and I know I always say this, but today I have a very cool, very special, awesome guest with me, Um, and it's kind of a cool story because I met this person on Tuesday. Today is Friday. And so we made shit happen. And after I heard him speak, I spoke in an event. He spoke at the same event. I heard him speak. And right afterwards we connected and I said, you need to come on my show um, because there's so much that you can teach my audience. And I learned things listening to this person speak. So let me give you a little bit of his background. Rhett Hackett is the president and co-founder of the Humanity Preservation Foundation. And he's also the host of Hand off. I love that name, um, which is a weekly TV show on the RVN TV network. Rhett is a survivor of child sex abuse, and he's been on the freaking Oprah Winfrey show. Holy cow. Um, he's been on radio, TV, newspapers. He's a speaker. He's all over the place talking about interpersonal violence. He's worked really hard on getting laws changed for the better, which we love to talk about on the show. And he does a lot of education. And you guys heard from my guest last week, Caitlin Brewer from darkness to light. And we talked about that number one question I always get asked, which is, okay, I hear your story. I get it. Thanks for edu- you know teaching me about this topic, but now what do we do? Um, and that's the piece that Caitlin talked a lot about and Rhett can weigh in on today, but I really just love his energy. And I love having that male voice because this is not just a female issue. This doesn't just happen to little girls. Sex abuse and child sex abuse does not discriminate. And so we've got Rhett here today. I can't wait for you guys to meet him. Rhett, welcome to Bar Fights. I am so thrilled to be here. Um, And you know what? You and I have already started off with a great story. Like just, uh, you know, making this happen and like just the dynamics behind that. Like I, I I have a saying all the time is let's talk about the things that we have done, not what we're going to do. Yeah. And now we'll be able to say that we did this. Yeah, totally. I know. And one of those like meant to be things like instant connection. I need your voice on my show. So give our audience a little bit of context um, in terms of who you are, what you've been through and now what are you doing with it? And again, yeah. I love these people that take the things that happened and actually pay it forward and use it for good. So give us a little context. 100%. About who so, you are. yeah, you know, I, I, I always start off and I say, I grew up in a really small town at the Jersey Shore and that, and so the, the perpetrator for me was a neighbor um, that was kind of like diagonal from my parents. And 
um, you know, went through the whole grooming process starting at age 12. You know, he just always had like stuff that we could look at. And, you know, he was always doing yard sales. And then, you know, it escalates to like the next level. And it was, oh, he used to let us smoke in his house. You know, we smoked cigarettes at that time. And then every now and then he would give some alcohol to us and take us out on his boat. And, you know, and then little by little. So then the next thing, which is level five of the whole of the process that, you know, of victimization was that he sexualizes the relationship. And how he did it was it was I was special because he showed me where he kept his pornography magazine. And, you know, so that's where it kind of began. And then he used to ask me questions about like, you know, um, have I ever slept with that girl? Would I sleep with that girl? You know, and, you know, asking questions that in, in retrospect now and what we communicate out to the public is are all these flags. So, but there were no flags back then. Everything was stranger danger. And, you know, yeah. we didn't talk about people that you knew that would hurt you, you know? Yeah. And um, so that's when the nightmare began for me. And um, I had just turned 17 when I had stopped it all and, you know, just kind of like moved forward with life and it was going to be my secret and I wasn't going to say anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, this was it. And then, you know, so now fast forward and we can hop back and forth, like, yeah. you know, in, in between, but so Finally, you know, my, my defense mechanism was um, success and being the best and doing the best and hyper achieving, right? Absolutely. Because I I was so afraid that if I didn't succeed, you would start to connect the dots and figure it all out. Like why I wasn't succeeding. Um, And what you end up with is burnout. Um, And by 2005, I, that was when I made the decision that I was going to seek professional help and start, you know, start the journey and, you know, what a, what a journey it was. And by 2009, I was kind of like, is this working? Like, what is going on? I feel like I go forward and three back and just, you know, it was like a mix of emotions. And I had always said that I didn't want to do group, any group, anti-group therapy, hundred percent. Like we're not doing that. And then I had learned of this uh, by 2010. I was like at my wit's end. I learned about this organization. It was malesurvivor.org. They did these retreats. I went and did the retreat. Totally turned my life around. And it was in that moment that I really embraced the statement that it wasn't my fault. Like, um, and uh, yeah, so then I found my voice and I knew that I wanted to do something that I wanted to speak. I, I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. And then lo and behold, in the same year, probably, I think it was like two months after I came back from that retreat, there was the feeler that was put out from the Oprah show that she was doing the 200 men sexually abused story. Oh, and was that episode. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I did the whole sign me up and, and, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, I didn't want to just be on the show. I wanted to be on the show. Yeah. And I got picked to be one of the six men that they were going to do profile for like, like, you know, pre pre tape footage. Yep. And that was when I went public, um, a with details for the very first time. And I knew that I was going to have to, you know, um, tell a lot of people because yeah. there were people that didn't even know. And I was like, I don't want them to find out on TV, like, you know, so 
um, yeah, so that happened. And I, that's when I got like thrusted into advocacy willingly, like, you know, I, I wanted to do it. Um, and I saw it, I saw it for every opportunity that it was. And I said, I'm going to take this all the way because I just don't want people to ever go through what I have gone through. Yeah. Um, we don't, we don't ask for help until we're desperate. And then when we're desperate, we get like trashy help and that's why you get bad therapy. And, you know, so, um, I swore I was never going to have that happen again, um, for anybody else. And I, I also knew we, the only way this is ever going to stop is to educate, 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 educate. And mm-hmm. that's where we're at. So, oh my God. and that's like the real short story. So, yeah, I have the chills because I think about you 11 years ago, you've never disclosed this has happened to you and you rip that bandaid off on freaking national television. And you're not just, you know, you, you put a face behind abuse of males you put a face behind um you know behind that and that was as you said at a time where not only were we not talking about any kind of abuse but we certainly weren't talking or thinking about the abuse of little boys and mm-hmm. yeah. you know that was really fucking courageous and you know, you didn't have the hundreds of other people behind you like I did when I stood on that SB stage coming out, you know, publicly for the first time on ABC TV, you were jumping off a cliff. You were literally jumping off a cliff and bearing your self for the world and to your family and to your friends and all these people you had never disclosed this to in order to help other people. And I can't imagine how terrifying that was um, or, or just how vulnerable you must have felt kind of what. Did you realize what was going on when you decided to do that? Or did it, were you, how did that work? You did. So I, yeah. So you, the way that it worked, like you put your name in and then it was like, I got this, they interviewed me. I did a 45 minute interview sitting in the car in the driveway of my house. And then you were done and you had to send in, I don't even remember what else, but then about a month after that, I got the email that I was, I was selected for the show. And, um, then I was at my daughter's, um, 10th grade, I think it was back to school night and my phone rang and it said Oprah producer on the phone. Oh, and my, like, oh gosh. my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, excuse me. And so I went into this other room and here they said, all right, listen, we're going to use you for some tape footage. Like we need you to come out a day early. We've changed your flight. Here's how it works. Blah, 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 blah. And I knew in that moment, I knew that my life was about to change and it was going to change for the better because I I was going to create it for, for myself, like, you know, and I, you know, just the, the day that, the day that that was all done, we were all done filming. We were back at the airport waiting to come to fly back home from Chicago. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, you have just been handed a gift. You have been Mm. handed this gift and this opportunity and you decide what you're going to do with it. And I made a promise that I I guess I was, how old was I? Like maybe 42. So I swore for the next 42 years, I was going to be, I was just going to go forward and just do everything I could to make a difference in some way, shape or form. And um, because it, 
is a hard, and you know, it's a horrible, horrible, you know, from the day that it happens to you, whether you realize it or not, you are never the same person that you were the day before you were sexually abused. It, you just, you just aren't. And, and it stays with you for a very long time for the rest of your life. And I know that, you know, people always say, oh, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? Well, I know, I always say I wouldn't do anything different because that then I wouldn't be who I am today. And I really like who I am, but I, you know, I would have gone to therapy sooner if I could have, if I knew them what I know now, because here's the thing it's like, we play this narrative in our head that we mm-hmm. beat ourselves up and we do so much damage to ourselves yeah. that we know that early intervention yeah. is the healing. Like it, the sooner you get to therapy, the sooner you're going to feel better. Yep. Period. <laughs> we could end the show like, right there. <laughs> like, so that's it's the so message. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. but unfortunately that's not it. Yeah. Yep. Tell me about, you mentioned, you know, now you're educating people like fraternities and other males, just give me sort of some sense of what that looks like. What do you say when you talk to fraternity guys? You're going to love this story. You're going to love this. This is really cool. So I, first of all, I talk to everybody. I talk like I, you know, you know that you know that commercial for I think it's for Progressive where they're like, okay, the the server doesn't need to know your name. Well, I'm like, okay, the server <laughs> does need to know my name because I'm going to ask them their name and I'm going to ask them all kinds of questions. And you know, so we have a little ice cream shop that's by us, you know, yeah. and um, we go there all the time. And there was this there was this young guy that was working the window, and he I I, I he's obviously above because it's a drive-through window and there was a spider coming down off from my cart and it was going to come in the window. And he was like, uh, he's like, hold on a minute. He's like, close your window. And, you know, so we, we get rid of the spider and I was like, you saved my life, you know? So it was like this running joke. So we talked all the time, just, you know, chit chat. And then he was telling me I'm graduating high school. I'm going to be going to UC Davis to be an engineer, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh my God, dude, that's great. You know, keep me posted. Let me know Da da da. Well, in the, in the course of becoming friends on social media, now he starts seeing my posts about the Humanity Preservation Foundation, and he finds out about, um, you know, my background of being a, a victim of sexual abuse and how I fight for mm-hmm. sexual assault. Da, 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 da. So he goes off to college and becomes the president of the fraternity and in like his second year or whatever the case may be. And here they're like doing this whole big initiative in regards to like, you know, fraternities can do it better and let's get sexual assault on, on college campuses down because we, we it's huge. It's really, it's a really big problem. And he ends up coming back to me and saying, hey, would you be willing to present and talk about your story to incoming fraternity brothers? Because we want to educate them that, yo, it's not cool to watch somebody taking a drunk girl up the stairs or like, you know, how to be an upstander versus a bystander. And I was like, dude, sign me up. And so we, we did the first one. And then now like we, every time that there's like the influx of new members coming in, we do a, we do a presentation to educate them on, you know, what do you do? Because that, that's one of the biggest questions that I get all the time from people is like, how do we get beyond the part of being paralyzed yes. in the moment? And how do you step into that to get it to not, you know, how can I intervene and not put myself in danger? And yeah. and there's things that you can do, but I think yeah. it's more so important that 
we're having this conversation when they're 18, 19, 20, 21. And, you know, we didn't have these conversations 30 years ago. Like it just wasn't talked about. And, you know, it, it does drum up some things for them and, and it, and, and it, it sends a message beyond the education and prevention. It says it's okay to talk about this. Like, you know, yeah. Um, and and also we're watching you, you know, yeah. we're talking about it. And you know, the other guys sitting in this room, your, your quote unquote brothers are all going to be watching to make sure yes. that you're not, you know, perpetrating. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's interesting too, with that is, um, and, and, and this is something for, if there's a young listener that's out there or really anybody, but in that particular space, um, is it's one of the things that we educate on is about pre-planning before you're going out that who is the designated point person if there's a problem who is the person that if you you know uh, like okay so we know that Stan Stan is the man like he's got the voice and if there's an issue like Stan has no problem jumping in but so and so can be the reporter the watching eye to make sure you know if they're hosting a party that there aren't open beverages for people to drop something into and that, you know, you just, instead of, and what that does is that takes out that whole, oh my goodness, I was caught off guard. I had no idea. I never saw it coming. Like, you know, now you're, you, you can't expect somebody to build a house if you don't have the tools in the toolbox. And I love that. I love that. Giving them the tools to build the motherfucking house. I love that. Tell me about upstander versus bystander. When I heard you talk about that the other day, I had never heard those words before. Um, Tell me what the difference between an upstander and a bystander is, because that's all new to me. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's some talk about the whole, you know, being just an innocent bystander. And you've got the individual that like just kind of like, turns the other way and doesn't do anything. And then the upstander is the person that has the, the ability to step in and does. And so what we talk about are some of the things, what can you do? And, you know, some of the examples I got were a little bit kind of extreme, but that's the whole idea behind it. So the upstander who starts to see somebody like, you know, taking this intoxicated girl up the steps, like, one of the things that you can do is step into that and then be like, yo, dude, they're towing your car or yo, you know, her dad just pulled up or, you know, anything that's going to create the distraction that then allows somebody to come in and be like, Hey, are you okay? Or can I help you? Or, you know, why don't I get you somewhere else or, you know, wherever, like to get them out of that situation and to break it up when you see it happening, that is who the upstander is because they are not going to let it happen. And in some way, and, and quite honestly, and, and I know in this conference, it came up, call yeah. the police if you really absolutely have to, like call them. And, you know, or if you don't feel comfortable doing it, call campus security. Like you, you should know what that number is. And that's part of that pre-planning piece to that. But um, that's an upstander. And, you know, we're teaching young men that this is not okay behavior. And it's not to say that it can't happen in the reverse to a man too, but yep. you know, in that situation, we know that most times the dominant force is, is the male population. And, you know, so um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is training and teaching, you know, cause you hear people, there's always an argument about, well, 
we shouldn't have to teach women not to get raped because now the burden is on them. It should be teaching men not to rape. And my thing is that's bullshit that this is, this is, everybody needs to be taught everybody. And you're talking about preserving your best, your inner soul of being violated, not being violated. And if you protect that, you're good to go. And I'm sorry if it's, you know, I don't look at it as a burden for somebody to not be victimized. It's, it's preparation. And, you know, you have young girls that are coming out of high school and living on their own for the first time. And it, it, the, um, college campus rate happens in the first like from September to November is the hot they're in, I'm sorry, September through October because they're in there and they're just getting adjusted to things. So. Yeah, yeah totally. What, um, in terms of being a male survivor of child sex abuse, what stigmas do you see sort of going along with that, that males have to sort of break through or overcome? Both of us agree there shouldn't be any stigma, but right. it, what is sort of right. unique unique to male survivors? Well, I think first and foremost is the whole, um, you know, we, we are trained, um, we, the, the culture has always been, well, you know, boys don't cry. Like, you know, you, like you, you toughen up, like, you know, and um, so that's right there. Number one, Mm -hmm. number two is you have this thing behind and we know that, that a lot of perpetrators are men. And so, you know, people are afraid that if you say, oh, well, a man raped me. Oh, well, that means you were gay. You wanted it. Um, There's the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, biology piece to that is that an adolescent male that is 13 years old, I don't care who it is or what they're doing, but if they're doing something to their penis, it's going to get erection. You're going to get an erection. It doesn't mean that they want anything to happen. It's just, that's biology at that particular time. And male perpetrators rely on that because they then can turn around and say, well, you wanted it. You were excited. You were this, you were that, you know, like, and so by having that conversation, having that understanding, we can break away a little bit of that stigma as well, too. Um, the other thing with that is, um, you know, kind of like, and it's so funny, too, we were just talking about this last night, um, it, the narrative of, um, oh, stop acting like a girl. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you know it, that it's okay for men and males to show emotion. Um, and, you know, because there's a lot of emotion behind you know, you being a, 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 a sex abuse survivor. And it's really, uh, it, it is a time for you to, to emote. Like it, you, you get a free pass on that no matter what. I mean, it shouldn't be that way anyway, but I do see things differently. Um, changes made. I see, you know, a variety of, of ages and people that are now saying, Hey, I love you, man. Like, you know, and, yeah. and really meaning it. It's not like that whole, you know, um, but, but those are the things that show me that there's a little bit of change behind it, but it really is. There's so much shame and stigma because they just look at it that, you know, Oh, well, you should have been able to get away. And then the other thing I, and I talked about this at the conference is that we cannot 
high five when a 13 year old has sex with a 26 year old teacher Mm. and we call it a score. It's a crime. It is a crime because it's a crime when a 26 year old male teacher does it to a 13 year old girl. It's a crime when a 26 year old female does it to a 13 year old boy. It's the same exact thing. And, and there is statistics that show that there is a damaging component to that because your brain is just not wired for that type of chemistry at that age. And, and having a superior that is somebody that's, you know, in charge of you doing that to you, whether it's male to male, male to female, like, you know, so it's really, um, I have talked to men that were perpetrated by a female Mm -hmm. and they have had the same issues of male to male perpetration. So, so, so it just, it really is amazing to me that, you know, we, we view that, um, as, a, as a win and, oh, that's my boy. Like, you know, good job. And, you know, like, or you hear things like, you know, oh, why didn't my teachers look like that when I was going to school, I would have loved for my math teacher to like grind on me. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. okay. But that's not, you're, you're making that like sound like it's okay. And it's not. Yeah. It's a, it's a crime. Yeah. As you said, I mean, that's yeah. not, that's not black and white. And I've heard some weird stuff over the years in some of my cases where defendants try to paint it. Like it was a relationship, right? We were in love. Yeah. It was a relationship. It was consensual. Well, you were 45 and she was 15 or, yep. you know, the teacher was, was 28. Um, I've even heard of, you know, people perpetrating at age, let's say 19, 20, they're newly adults, right? Mm-hmm. And, and people making the argument, oh, they're 19. It's okay for them to have sex with 13 year olds because they're in the same age range. The laws exist for a reason that is still yes. a crime, right? And so I, I think you're exactly right in saying that. And societally, we need to be careful about what we support, right? Hey, dude, that's so cool. You had sex with a 25 year old girl. No, that's not cool. That's a crime. Um, I don't think social media helps in any way, shape or form when it comes to this. Um, so you're totally right. And the things you identified about, you know, people abused as boys, I've heard the same things, you know, questions about their sexuality, really stuffing it down and almost overcompensating in terms of being a tough guy and beating people up because they have that seed planted in their head that because they were abused and they were a boy, that means they're not real men. Um, And, and we've seen it in the college arena that, you know, a, a sexually abused male adolescent ends up going to school and it's almost as if they try to have something to prove by sleeping with as many women as they possibly can so that they can say that, you know, Hey, look, this is, you know, this is who I am. And, and, you know, I didn't really want that back then. And if anybody ever found out this would hide that, you know, and you know, it, 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 they are acting out. I mean, and, and that's the thing is like, I think it's so important for people to realize that, um, if you don't address it, it will show up in oh. some way, shape, or form. Like, Amen. there's no avoiding it. No, say more. There is no avoiding it. It will show up. Say more about that. 
Yeah, because so and and I say this all the time, but, you know, there's that saying that you can't outrun your own psyche because like no matter how much you try to mask it and that masking is you can drink it, you can smoke it, you can have sex with it, you can try to eat it to death. But after every single one of those activities, when you when your eyes open up the next day, your psyche is still there and and it and it's coming out full force. And that's why. Often, and I was talking a little bit about this, um, is that um, addiction is a sign of something greater. Like somebody doesn't wake up one morning and they say, okay, today's the day I'm going to be a heroin addict or today's the day I'm going to get to 600 pounds. Like, like that is a progressive type of thing that's happening. And, and they're, they're, they're trying to fill a void within themselves. And often it's childhood trauma that is tied to some sort of sex abuse or some sort of traumatic experience that happened. And, you know, we, we really try hard as individuals to outrun it. I tried to outwork it to death or out succeed it. Like, you know, that I wasn't going to be the failure that I thought that I was because I let it happen to me. And my goodness, like once I realized you know, all the dynamics and the handcuffs were off. It was like, okay, it's like time to get serious now and, you know, do something with it. And yeah, here we are. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I love, you know, you touching on addiction and, and not just addiction traditionally, as we think of it with drugs and alcohol, but addiction, you know, for eating or shopping or over hyper achieving or, you know, just searching for something to numb what our psyche and our body wants to bury deep down. And, And you know, you know what makes me so sad as as we move into this section here as we're talking about this is that um, I, you know, it is one of the hardest sales pitches ever when I'm working with somebody that's like a brand new victim or whatever. And, you know, you're trying to convince them because it's true. It's not, it, 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 there is no way that it, it's bullshit that it was not their fault. Like that is number one right there. But the, the, where the sales pitch is, and it's so hard for them to buy in is because no, it wasn't your fault, but man, you are left holding the cards and a lot of shit to fix. So you may have, you, you know, you, not only do you have to fix yourself, but if you went the path of an, of some sort of an addiction where there's now there's like carnage behind you and like you, you may have messed up your credit and your relationships and like connections with your children and just all of it, all because something wasn't your fault, but you're the one that has to fix it all. And, you know, that's the dichotomy between that of it's not my fault, but I'm, I'm, I have to fix it. Like, it doesn't make any sense because we know and thank God for people like you in, in, in certain cases where it does work out, where somebody is held accountable or if they're, and, and I know we talked a little bit about this, at the, but if the institution was at fault, if somebody yeah. was supposed to be the gatekeeper and not, and didn't do their job and failed you as a child, then, you know, it's, it's so hard to make somebody held accountable, but but what I do is I try to talk to that person. I say, okay, but you are worthy of the fix. Put the work in now and live. Yes. A freaking men. What is sort of the one big thing you want my audience to know? My audience, some are survivors, some 
are, you know, just people living in this world that want to do better um, when it comes to this topic. And some people don't know anything about this topic and they just want to be able to hear stories of hope and resiliency and be inspired. What what should people know that can sort of generally be applied to anyone's life that's listening to this? Well, you know, I think that as it relates to this topic and, and, and this, uh, this one statement alone can help those that have been victimized and potentially prevent something from happening. And that is that it can happen to anyone anywhere. It doesn't matter whether you are white, black, purple, green, rich, poor. It, it, it affects every single person. And so if you go into that mindset, because I'll, I can't tell you how many times I have a victim say to me, I just want to know why. Why me? Why did it happen to me? Da, da, da. You know, well, well, there isn't that why. There's, the, there's, there's a method behind that whole plotting and planning. And, you know, they, that, that's just what they do. And, you know, so, so under that mindset, it tells the individual who was victimized that, A, they're not alone. And then it tells the people over here, you better keep an eye on your kids. Like you have every single right to do an audit on the people that are coming to your children. And I said this the other day at the, at the, at the conference that the window is this small to yes. do your job as a parent and keep them. It's a blip. And man, oh man, I, I don't care when I was raised, I don't care if somebody thought I was that crazy parent. I don't care if I was asking the question of, well, who, who has access to your children? Do you have an older sibling? Do you have a father? Did you know, all of that. Like, um, so those are my things I think that I, I would put out there and, and, and to, you know, you can get through it. it you really can. If, if, if you have gone through this, you can. And, and, and I think on that piece, and, and I'll end it here, I, I just like, we come into it, therapy is number, it's key. You have to do it. Yeah. Um, and you have to embrace the fact that no, it's not going away, that, you know, you're going to learn how to manage through it. Um, but there's a really good life out there for you. And, and it's yours for the taking and you can do it. And that's why like people like you, like me, like foundations and, and nonprofits that work with people. That's why we're here. That's why I tell people all the time that when I help somebody and I'm working with them and they're getting over there, they, oh my God, I'm going to get all like choked up here. Mm. That, that is what makes sense of every dark day I ever had. That's why I got through it was so that that person can live their life. So, and, and there's nothing better than that. It's, it, that is pure joy. Oh, you are touching my heart. There is purely nothing better than that. And what we're both doing day in, day out is giving meaning to what happened to us and using it for the good. And I know you have touched countless lives. You've saved countless lives and you will continue to touch and save countless lives by being who you are and having the heart you have and by educating so many people and together we can do better. And that's what, what we're doing. And that's why I'm so grateful you fell into my life because together we can do better and you're a treasure. Absolutely. You are wonderful. I thank you so much for coming on Bar Fights. How can our listeners find you? Yeah. So um, 
I, I am on social media as, um, you know, Red Hackett. Uh, Instagram is Red1899. But honestly, the easiest way is to come to um, hpfus.org. That is the foundation's website, and you can access us there. Like, it, it's super easy. Um, and it's not like I have a common name. It's not like Jim. You know, it's pretty easy. Like, if you just Google Red Hackett, it's all going to – If you there type in Red is. Hackett Oprah, there it is. That's it. Red so, Hackett I, Oprah. Know, thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I just – I really appreciate it. The fact that you're doing this, like, you know – the, the key with these types of situations and conversations is that we might not ever know the people that we have helped in this piece, but we know that we have helped somebody. Yes. Amen to that. We did it again here on Bar Fights, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And if you learned something here today, please share our show because you, listener, will be changing and saving lives. Rhett Hackett, thank you so much for being on Bar Fights. And until we talk again, thank you guys for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. For listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.